Jesus, we love you tonight. Church, do you love him tonight? Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are here by your Spirit. Lord, thank you that John teaches us that we are in the Spirit. And Father, I pray, God, tonight that as we are in your Spirit, Lord Jesus, as we are in your heart, Lord God, I pray that you would, you would comfort us where we need comforting. You would encourage us, give us courage where we need courage. God, I pray that you would melt us where we've become hard. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you would bring energy and renewal of strength, Lord Jesus, as we have the joy of looking at your scripture and using your word like a mirror so that as, as we look into the word, as we read the word, in fact, the, read, uh, the, the word reads us. And so, Father, I pray tonight that, that as, as we look at scripture, that scripture would do a massive work in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Good morning, church. No, good evening, church. It's because it's so bright. I love the paint job. There's been a few changes. New pastor, new paint job, new Britney Spears mic. It's the first time I've ever used this. I feel like I should have come prepared with a dance routine. But, uh, so they, No, I won't. I won't. I can't dance. I can't dance. And uh, so if I'm kind of like doing this with my hands, I'm usually holding a microphone, so I don't really know what to do. This is exciting. Um, if, I've, if you've never seen me before, my name's Pete Wright. Um, I'm one of the pastors at Springs Church. Um, we meet at Roberts Primary School on a Sunday morning. And uh, in April, would you believe, we've been going for four years. Four years in April. Unbelievable how fast it's gone. And um, so greetings from everyone at Springs Church. And uh, we are so blessed to be part of this community. Um, we, 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 took a, we, we took the opportunity to join with the rest of the community on Remembrance Sunday and to see thousands of people on the streets remembering fallen heroes. It was really inspirational. There is still such a community spirit in this town. And I really believe that the way God's going to move and break out and see many thousands of people saved uh, in this town is because of the community element of it. Just a few big names, a few people getting saved that people would think, they could never get saved. Can you imagine how quickly it's going to spread like wildfire throughout this community because of how that relationship is still there? And um, I'm so I'm so honoured to come and speak to you guys uh, tonight. I never take it lightly when I when I come to preach at different churches. It's always an honour, always a privilege. So thanks for having me again. Uh, tonight. Uh, my wife uh, Rachel and Joel and Naomi are probably having bedtime stories down in Summer Lane at the moment and, uh, and so they kind of uh, say hi to you all as well. Where are you going daddy? I'm preaching up the road tonight son. Oh have a good time dad. And so, uh, and so you have my little boys back in as well tonight. Is that alright? So um, I, I saw something on Facebook yesterday. You know Shirley Owen? Shirley Owen um, posted, I don't, I, think, I don't think it was original to Shirley, I think she'd posted it from somewhere else. But it was this really great challenge that if you look at the book of Luke, it's got 24 chapters. And while we're opening our Advent calendars in the run-up to Christmas, how great would it be if we read a chapter of Luke every single day for 24 days? So when we wake up on Christmas morning, we have a fresh revelation from an entire book, an entire account of the life of Jesus. So we started that last night, and, and, uh, and so that's going to be our evening readings as a family at the moment. And, and I was so excited just to look at Luke again. And you know, Luke was a doctor, and he loved detail. You know that, don't you? You know, all the gospel writers had a very different entry point to the way they, they, they recorded and the audiences they were writing to. And Luke was writing for, for all of us, you know. In fact, it says that, that he, he writes an orderly account, dear Theophilus. Everyone say Theophilus. Bit of Greek for you tonight. The word Theo means God in Greek. 
And uh, the philos or phylos in Greek means lover. In other words, I have written these things down for you, God lovers, <laughs> so that you can be confident that the things that are written are true. How good is that? So I'm just encouraged that when I read the Bible, as a lover of God, you as a lover of God, we can come face to face with the truth of God. It's just such a beautiful reminder. And I love there at the end of chapter 1, verse 78, uh, 79, um, Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, is prophesying over his son. And he's talking of God and what God will do in John's life. It says, uh, you will bring a message basically to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. How beautiful is that? That's just chapter one. There's loads of cool stuff in the middle of those as well. And um, I just, I just want to, I just want to say, I'm aware that some of you uh, here tonight have suffered loss in the recent days and weeks. And uh, and I pray tonight that the gospel of peace will be your sanctuary tonight. So Father, I thank you for our time together, and I pray in these next few moments we'll be stirred up, and we'll be changed, and we'll be uh, we'll be determined to be conformed more to the likeness of Jesus. In your name. Amen. 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 I, I believe, I, I bet you believe too, that God is an expert in putting broken lives back together. Broken lives back together. Not just rebuilding individuals, but whole communities. I'm so excited to hear of these ideas that, uh, that you're going to be doing, particularly that's at the bottom of my street. I often walk past that place and think, man, what can we do? And then St. Paul's are looking to do work there. It's so good, so, so good. And, um, and uh, Rachel and myself, we also suffered a miscarriage before we had our first child as well. And, um, and so what a powerful thing it is that you're looking to reach out to people that have lost. You know, it's one in four, they reckon. The stats of one in four couples will experience the loss of a child at some point. And so there are, there's a, at least a quarter of couples out there that need a church like yours. Is that right? And a comfort as well. So... I believe that God is in the business of rebuilding broken people and broken communities. Have you ever felt a great distance between being the person you know you can be and the person you are right now? Have you ever felt that one day, God, I want to be like this for you. Lord, I want to live like this, but I'm here. And there's a big gap between the two. How am I ever going to get there? You know, in our communities, uh, we can have a sense of, God, we know what we would love Gornal to be like. We know how you would love to save and how we want you to save our communities. But God, we're here and we want to get there. And there's this massive gap in the middle. Well, the inspiration for the word tonight is coming from the book of Ezra. So we're going to go back to Ezra and we're going to look at an ancient story. And we're going to pick out three points from the book of Ezra. And we're going to look at how this ancient story can impact our present reality. And it's going to be a challenge for Christians, uh, and it's going to be an invitation also for people who may not have invited Jesus into their lives. And so the book of Ezra is a fascinating book, you know, because the book of Ezra um, was, uh, it, it, it tells the story of the Israelites getting a chance to rebuild their community after 388 years in exile. 388 years, kicked out of their homeland, passed from one conqueror to another. And by the time we find them at the start of Ezra, they've been, they've been enslaved and exiled in Babylon. All right, in Babylon. And, um, and they suddenly get their chance to rebuild their community because God speaks to Ezra and speaks to the king that is enslaving them. And, and, and he melts the heart of the king and allows them a chance to go and rebuild their community. Do you know, it says that there was still a remnant in Jerusalem. 
do you know, I really believe as long as there's a remnant of Christians, a remnant of faith, do you know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, we are the remnants of grace. As long as there is a remnant of faith and a remnant of grace in our town, there is a chance that our community can come to Jesus. Did you know that? And so as part of the family of Springs and the family of St. Paul's and on behalf of the church of this entire community, I utterly believe that whilst we might be a remnant in light of 24,000 Gornalites out there, while there's a remnant, there's still a chance for revival. There's still a chance that God can do something. Are you excited by that? I'm excited by that. 388 years after they've been exiled, the people of God get to rebuild their community. I'm going to pick up the story just with a few scriptures tonight. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josedach, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, uh, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. What I love about this community, the first thing they do is when they get back to Jerusalem and start to rebuild the God country that it was meant to be, instead of starting by building a building, Instead of starting by having a big worship praise party, instead of, instead of starting with, a, with an outreach to the community or a flyer drop to the neighbours that were still left in Jerusalem, the first thing that they did, Ezra, it tells us in Ezra chapter 3, is they rebuilt the altar. Did you notice that? The first thing they do is rebuild the altar. Now, what was the altar for? Well, if you've been around church for a long time, I'm sure you know. If you're new to church or you're new to the Bible, maybe you don't know. The altar was the place in the community where the people had chance to offload their sin and get right with God. The first thing they did was not build a grand temple and get the musicians going. The first thing they did was reinstate the place where the people could get right with God. That's good, isn't it? There's an old guy in our church, and, and he used to pray very, uh, very often, if we could just give the people a place to repent, Lord, that would be a good start. And, and I really believe this, that if we are a people who give the community a chance to know that they can have a fresh start with God, I think we could be onto something. I think God's got some awesome plans for that. You see, the thing about the altar was this. In the Old Testament, to get right with God, you would purchase or take hold of your most precious item. If you were, if you were a farmer, you'd take, you'd take your most precious lamb, perhaps. The most innocent, purest white-looking lamb. And what you would do is you'd take it to the priest. You would lay your hands on the lamb and you would transfer your sins onto that lamb. And then the lamb was killed and its blood would atone for your sin and you'd become right with God. Now, I'm really glad... That when we came in tonight to do some praying and do some business with God, you didn't all come with your best farm animals. Now, this is Gornal, so I'm glad you didn't come with your chickens and your goats. We don't have to make sacrifices here at the front. Dave doesn't have to bring a big butcher's knife. We don't have to do that anymore. Because 2,000 years ago, the altar that is the cross, Jesus was sacrificed on so that we can come to him time and time again and say, Lord, I have messed up. I have gone away from you. I need to repent. Do you know what repent means? The word repent simply means to get back on target with God. In the, in the, in the Greek, the word repent, it talks of, a, of an archer who's off aim. 
To repent means to get back on aim. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore because the Lamb of God, Jesus, was the sacrifice once and for all time. The first thing that the the people of God did to rebuild their community was reinstate the place where they could get right with God. We need to be a people who preach the word of God and tell the testimony of Jesus. Are you with me tonight? Is that true? How many of you have grown shy sharing your story of Jesus in your lives with your neighbours that don't know Jesus yet? I want to encourage you that only a couple of years ago, I led my next door neighbour to Jesus two weeks before he died. I want to tell you that the powerful gospel is still alive and working and redeeming people in our community today. It's beautiful. And as we recommit ourselves to God, that's the first step, not just in rebuilding our community, but starting to fresh ourselves. Are you with me tonight, church? If you're not, just go, boo. If you're with me, just go, yes. I'm with you. All right? All right? I used to be a teacher. So if the class went to... I was an odd teacher. Most teachers like it silent. If it went too silent, the kids were bored. So if you go silent on me, I'm going to presume... I don't know. I don't know. All right. The second thing that they did was this. They rebuilt the temple. Once the people had rebuilt the place where they could get right with God, then they rebuilt the temple. And it wasn't without opposition, but they got going and it was wonderful. You know, a Hebrew interpretation of of the word temple can be this. The word temple, when you look at it in the original Hebrew, it can mean this. Palace of power. How awesome is that? Palace of power. Now, you can check me out if you like. I, 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 I like to study stuff. I've really dug into it. I've looked at it for myself. And you can find it for yourself in your Greek Hebrew lexicons. It's a wonderful thing, right? The word temple means palace of power. The temple was not just a building where they would go and do religious acts. This was a place where they knew the power of God would be. How awesome is that? How wonderful is that? The temple was a place for sacrifice, a place for prayer and praise, a place for setting apart people and individuals and remembering to live in God's way. The temple, the palace of power, was the second thing that the the people of God rebuilt when they came to rebuilding their community. Before Jesus came, back in the Old Testament, the only place where the manifest actual presence of God was allowed to be on planet Earth was in the Holy of Holies, which was kind of like, if this was the temple, the Holy of Holies is kind of like the very back room. And separating the Holy of Holies from the, from the rest of the people was an enormous curtain. You know the court curtain that tore in two the day Jesus died? A massive curtain separated the people from the Holy of Holies. And only one person could go into the actual presence of God once per year on behalf of the entire nation. They rebuilt the altar. They got themselves right with God. Then they rebuilt the temple so that the presence of God would be present among them. But only one person got to experience that. Aren't you glad? That the day Jesus died, the, 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 the curtain that separated God and his presence from the people was torn in two and the Holy Spirit poured out across the earth. And you know a little later on, 40 days after Jesus had gone back to heaven, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended on the people uh, like tongues of fire and they were filled with power. Suddenly... It wasn't just a temple that would be a palace of power, and not even all of it, just a little bit at the back. But the day that the Holy Spirit went out throughout the earth, the day you became a Christian, my friend, 
Do you know the, the, the New Testament speaks that, that God put the, the, the deposit of his Holy Spirit in you and in me when you said yes to Jesus. Do you know what that makes you? Temple of the Holy Spirit. You, my friends, are a palace of power. I don't feel very powerful, Pete. Well, I'm sorry, friends, but you're not understanding what the Word of God says. You and me, people who've accepted Jesus, are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are now built to be palaces of power. Do you know what that means? By the grace of God, we can change things. By the grace of God, we can change. By the grace of God, he can speak to our hearts so that we can help change other people's hearts. We are a palace of power. So first of all, what did they rebuild? They rebuilt the... Oh, you're better than Springs. You're way better. They rebuilt the altar. Second thing they did was they rebuilt the, the temple. This ancient story is teaching us of who we are. We get right with God. We get filled with his presence. Wonderful. 1 Corinthians 6.19, you know that first. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who you've received from God? Wow. Called to be a palace of power. Move down there, yeah. Okay, so the third thing, third thing, is everyone okay? You still awake? Do you know I was preaching in a church locally to here recently? I won't say which one. Straight, <clears throat> and uh, and, uh, and and I was preaching my heart out of us, and I, and I could hear this, mmm, mmm, and I thought I must be preaching really well. Clearly, someone's agreeing with me under their breath, and then I suddenly glanced around, and it was this old boy at the back. <laughs> So I always check from now on if you're still with me or not. Right, Ezra, um, chapter 7, verse 6. It says, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. This Ezra, it says, Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, this Ezra came up from Babylon. Do you know, Ezra's name means help. So when we read this Ezra, we can actually read this help. Came up from Babylon. Do you know where the word Babylon comes from? It comes from that ancient story, the Tower of Babel. You know when people speak babble, you can't understand them? Babylon actually means confusion. So actually when we read Ezra chapter 7 verse 6, it says, this Ezra came out of Babylon. What that means is this help came out of confusion. If you're in church tonight and you are utterly confused about where you are at in your faith journey, confused about where you're at with your life, confused and having a lack of stability and clarity, can I encourage you, just from the simple interpretation of not even a whole sentence of scripture, that if you are in confusion tonight, help is on its way. Help is on its way. Out of confusion comes help. What's more helpful in times of confusion than clarity and stability? I love that our God is a God of love, power, and a sound what? Mind. A sound mind. The people were busy with activity, rebuilding their society and their culture. They'd reset their spiritual agenda, rebuilt the altar, rebuilt the temple. 
But if this culture, if this community, this people of God rebuilding was to be unified and blessed, it needed a center point, a common ground, not just a confession of faith, not just an every so often experience of God in a spooky way, but a solid, going nowhere, steadfast, sure foundation. We too need an anchor for our souls. And what I love about this is the third thing that the people of God did in rebuilding their own lives as individuals, but as a whole community, was this. Altar, temple, and they reset the power of the word of God. It says this Ezra, this help came out of Babylon confusion. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses. In other words, this help was well-versed in the scriptures. This help, this Ezra, because there must have been other Ezra's, because the Bible's pretty specific. This Ezra came out of Babylon. If we want to be people who have a center point, do you know, we will worship in different ways from this church to our church to the next church to the church down the road, but we all have a center point. Some of you have never met me, but you're my family. And I'm here, and you're my family. Our center point is the word of God. We need an anchor for our souls. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 to 19, famous scripture says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of this hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Everyone say, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Wow. There's a secret to our souls having security. Once we get our lives right with God, once we're filled with his holy presence, how do we get right, stay right, and walk right, safe and secure? It's by gaining this hope, this anchor for our souls. I believe the anchor for our souls is the word of God. Let's work backwards to that scripture. The key to our soul security is hope. But the key to discovering hope is to get great encouragement. Aren't you in, don't you have hope when you are encouraged? When courage is put into you. Encouragement is having courage put into us. We take great courage when the God who cannot lie directly exposes himself to us. Since God's nature never changes, we can be sure that his promises were not made in an emotional whim, but they stand the test of time. The rebirth of Ezra's community took God's word as their unchanging center point. I want, I want the word of God to be my center point all over again. That's why I'm going to read these 24 chapters of Luke, these next. I want the word of God so stable in my heart that I am the most stable, powerful version of myself because the word of God is rich in me. And as a man speaks, so he is in his heart. I want my heart to be full of the words so what I speak is full of God. Are you with me tonight, church? See, the word of God declares who I am. It declares who you are. It declares what you're created for. The word of God declares where I can run in times of trouble. And I've had trouble in my life. You had trouble in your life? The word of God tells me how and where I can run. What will build my life up in the best way? The word of God, it teaches me that a full life that is available through an encounter and relationship with the one who set all things in motion. But my friends, I actually heard recently that you don't want to go to a church 
where the, where the sermon is easy and waxes lyrical about spiritual comings and goings. I heard someone say recently, you want to go to a church where the word hurts a little bit. That's a bit discomforting, isn't it? I'm folding my arms, I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> I'm not angry, I've just got no microphone. I find that really interesting. And what they meant by going to a church where the message hurts a little bit is allowing God to put his finger on a certain things in our lives at the right time and the right places so that we can be forever changed. You see, the problem the world has with the word of God is it is not politically correct. It's not PC. The word of God tells you how it is. Not according to opinion or cultural differences or cultural changes. The truth is told in the word of God. No wonder it cuts like a razor to people that don't want to hear the truth. Maybe you don't want to hear the truth tonight, but the truth is this. The word of God is not always going to sit easy with you. You're going to find yourself wrestling with it. Anyone ever tried reading Ezekiel start to finish? I thought I'd try Ezekiel. Something a bit prophetic, but something a bit familiar over the summer. Oh my goodness, people, I'm still in Ezekiel. It's like wading through treacle. Oh my word, I don't even know if I like the God in Ezekiel. <laughs> But I know there's good stuff in it for me. I know it's challenging and changing me. Do you know? Our best friends are the ones who know all of our faults, know all of our failings, but still stick close to us. Is that right? The word says that Jesus is like a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, I've got a few brothers. I've got my biological brother, Sam. He's awesome. I've also got my best mates that I grew up with. <clears throat> Jesus-loving best mates. My mate Andy Aston, pastor down in Kingswinford. My friend Andy Waddams. We all grew up together. He's pastor in Birmingham now. We grew up together, and we regularly meet together and encourage one another. And if there's something in either one of us that we're kind of like, mate, what are you playing at? We call it out in each other. You know, the best mates are the ones that can take the mickey out of you a little bit. They prove a point, but you know they love you. <laughs> you know, Proverbs, it says this, Proverbs 27, verse 5. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. In other words, it's better to be upfront and face facts than just smooth over things and not really in love saying how it is. Straight uh, after in Proverbs 27, verse 6. You'll know this. It's a very famous scripture if you've been around church for a while. The wounds of a friend are faithful. Have you heard that? In other words, when my friends might be seeing the way that I'm living and they call it out in me, it's because they love me and they want me better. It's because they want me to live truer. When I see things in the people that I love, and I'm encouraging them, I'm loving them, but maybe they're living in a way that it's just not right. I would not be a true friend if I didn't in love say, mate, come on, that ain't good. Rebuilding the community after 388 years of being in exile, the people of God, they reinstated the altar to get themselves right with God. And they rebuilt the temple to build their community around the presence of God. And then they reinstated how powerful and proper and central the word of God was in their community. 
as individuals, you invited Jesus into your life, you got right with God. Maybe there's some things that you haven't asked for forgiveness about for a while, and maybe, maybe now's the good time to do that. If you've never become a Christian before, you are living without the presence of God in your life. If you are a Christian, you have the presence of God in your life, but maybe you've become totally unaware of the actual presence of Almighty God in your heart and soul. And lastly, we go through fits and starts of being excellent at reading our Bibles, don't we? And then sometimes it goes dramatically off and the Word of God doesn't have such a centre stage. I want to encourage you that the Word of God is so powerful and ready to change you and love you and put its arms around you. The Word of God is so ready to change you from glory to glory. I love it. This is my Bible here. And I, this is no boast. This is partly poor looking after. Partly it's been used a lot. It fell apart properly the other week. Do you know this Bible... I bought this Bible two weeks after my mum died. My mum died uh, 12 years ago tomorrow. 12 years ago tomorrow. I bought this Bible two weeks after she passed away because it was kind of like it was clearly a new, a new season in my life about to start. And I was like, God, I, kinda, I need you all over again. So I bought a new Bible and I got started. Well, do you know, this Bible's got coffee stains on it. <laughs> it's got scribblings all over it. It's got things highlighted and it is literally falling apart. I've glued it three times already. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I heard this phrase recently and I liked it because it reminded me of my Bible and I, and I hope it's true of me. The Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. It's a pretty cool phrase, isn't it? The Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who is not. I want to encourage you tonight. God has stability for you. God has clarity of mind for you. God has a renewed sense of his presence in your life for you. God has it all written out ready for you to get right with God again tonight. I've talked for way too long. I'm enjoying this Brittany mic. I'd love to pray for you. Three prayers. One for each of those points that we've come out with tonight. So you're welcome to, to bow your heads or stay looking up or stand, whatever you want to do, whatever's comfortable for you. Father, I pray tonight, God, I thank you for, I thank you for all my friends here tonight, Jesus. And Lord, if there's anybody in the room tonight that has never made a commitment to you, if there's anybody in the room tonight who's never had their sin dealt with and has never had their souls forgiven, Lord, I pray in this moment that they would come to you and they'd say, Lord, forgive me. If that's you tonight, just say, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. Father, I thank you that by your son's work, by Jesus on the cross, you give us a chance to get right with you. Thank you, Lord. And Father, for my friends tonight, 
particularly the friends of mine here tonight that have been Christians for many, many, many years. Some are still sitting here and they're still wondering, God, will you ever show me your presence like I heard about so many times? Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon my friends tonight, every single person who's saying, I want the presence of the Holy Spirit to be so manifest in me. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present and active and powerfully working in my friends tonight, God. I ask God that you would fill my friends in this church with a new gift of your Holy Spirit. People that have never had discernment before, God, give them the gift of discernment. People who've never had the gift of tongues, Father, I pray that some would wake up tonight in the middle of the night and find themselves speaking in tongues in Jesus' name. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would give people gifts of knowledge, gifts of administration even. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit and I pray that you would unleash your gifts in this church, Jesus. And finally, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, I know Pastor Dave's heart and I know he's a man of the word, God. And I pray, God, that this church would be so hungry to know the things that you've got to say about them and this community and all that is possible, God. Father, I pray there'd be such an insatiable appetite for the word, God, that people would be left feeling hungry, feeling physically hungry for the days that they haven't been in your word, God. Not because we should be under pressure to read the word, God, but because there's just such a hunger. God, I thank you that as the word of God is in us, we are changed. As your spirit is working in us, we are changed. And because of the work of Jesus, we are forever changed. Bless your holy name, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you.